You know, there's nothing so beautiful as a little baby. We had a friend uh, just have a baby right now. And it's special for us because we lived with her in Japan when she was one year old. So she was a beautiful baby. And now she has a beautiful baby of her own. And the baby is absolutely gorgeous. And we were just dissolving in puddles <laughs> as we look at the pictures and go, oh, the baby that kills because it's so beautiful. And, you know, it's easy to carry this into Christmas and think, oh, the baby. And yet, when I was reading Luke chapter 2, I wasn't getting so much baby. It's interesting, to me anyway, that what I see more of is God making decisions and then carrying them out with power. That is, God does what he wants. I think that is so interesting to think about Christmas time as the time where God does what he wants. And what makes it amazing is that what God wants is great. It is so good. That's what God does with all power, that he is very good. And I hope that when we're done here, everybody's going to be really happy about the fact that God can do anything he wants. So I'm reading here in Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So again, as we're reading these scriptures, they remind us that God is sovereign. And when I said that word to somebody just recently, talking about what I was going to talk about, because pastors do this. When you talk to a pastor, they say, what are you doing for Christmas? Luke 2, what are you doing? Luke 2. Well, I'm teaching on the fact that God is sovereign. Nobody's going to know what that word means. Don't use that word. So I'm going to explain what the word means, okay? It means not under control from outside. A sovereign person can make decisions, and that's it. Nobody can unmake those decisions or stop them. When you're sovereign, you can do anything you want to do. That means absolute power. Now, you know, you talk about nations having sovereignty. You know, does Israel have the sovereign right to defend itself? And the answer is yes. It's a sovereign nation. It's nobody's business. So they're going to take care of themselves. That's the question. All right? Well, nations are sovereign to a limit. And you realize they can't do everything they want to do. Is China going to take over Taiwan? Well, they say they're sovereign. But, you know, if they try to take over Taiwan, then they're going to run into the United States. Well, they think, well, the United States is busy with Israel. So let's swoop in and just reunite with Taiwan. Will they do it? Sovereign nations, but you know, got to watch out. Somebody could unmake your decision. Well, one sovereign person can clash with another sovereign person. And the thing about God is there aren't two absolutely sovereign beings in the universe. There's only one. See, the devil is not the counterpart to God. 
The devil is a created being. He's powerful, he's glorious, but God has all power, all authority. He alone is sovereign. So the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, God is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So these scriptures here remind us that God is sovereign over nations. Here's Caesar Augustus. He is the most powerful person in the world at this point. There's not even a question about it. At the Battle of Actium in 31 BC, he was the last one standing, which means he owns the world. He is the most powerful. Nobody tells Caesar Augustus what to do. Of course, Caesar Augustus is interested in raising finances. And you almost don't need sovereign power to tell the emperor of the world, hey, go raise taxes. He's way ahead of you at that point. But this is something that God is doing. And he's making the most powerful person in the world do his will without him even knowing it. He doesn't say, whoa, a strange force is grabbing my limbs and making me say, raise taxes. He just gets up one morning and says, I want finances. Go get finances. Get everybody registered. They go, yes, sir. That was it. Did he feel the hand of Almighty God on him? No, he says, this is going to be good. And you know, God is sovereign over all the nations of the world right now. Sovereign over China. Sovereign over all those nations out there that are causing us so many problems. Iran right now. Now, Iran would say, no, we're sovereign. Russia would say, ah, we're sovereign. But you know, God is the one who puts down nations, raises others up. In Isaiah, it says that the nations are less than dust on the scales. They're not even a drop in the bucket. So you watch all the craziness going on in the world, and you realize it does not put God out at all. He remains sovereign. And you know, uh, getting Caesar to call for more taxes is not even the point of this passage. This passage is not about the most powerful man in the world. This reminds us that God is sovereign over individuals to fulfill his own purpose. Because what God really wants is to get Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And see, 
he decided where he wanted the Messiah to be born. He made a decision, and he talked about it 700 years before, and he says it's going to be in Bethlehem. This is Micah chapter 5. He made a decision in the city of David. Now, Bethlehem is a nowhere place. It's always been a nowhere place. And even now, it's a nowhere place. It's not important to anybody except God. And he says, there. So, he does this because he makes a paper trail. So people can look at God saying he's going to do a certain thing, that he fulfills what he says he's going to do, and you know God takes his word seriously. And you can look at decision, fulfillment, and realize, yes, there is a God. He does what he says. The fulfillment isn't random. It's not chance. It's God doing what he says he's going to do. It goes beyond probability. So this baby cannot be born in Nazareth or Los Angeles or Tokyo. The baby has to be born in Bethlehem. And it's not probable that a woman in her ninth month is going to wake up one day and say, Babe, we got to go to Bethlehem. Let's go. We got to fulfill this prophecy. She is never going to do that. You know what she's really thinking? Jolt on a donkey. Why does it have to be this hard? Why do we have to pay the stupid taxes? I don't like this. What is making her do this? Well, God reached down from heaven and got a hold of Caesar. Caesar says, let there be taxes. So now they don't have a choice, Mary and Joseph. They have to go to Nazareth. You think, Bethlehem, you think, can't we just postpone this a couple of weeks, a month, two months? But something about it compels them. They have to do this. So... She's praying, God, please get rid of the Romans. Please do something. But you know, he's making her do something whether she likes it or not. He didn't even ask her permission. She has to do it. This is his purpose. And you notice, God isn't depending on anybody to fulfill his word. He's doing it himself. And this is something that uh, he tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. He says, I am watching over my word to perform it. So he says it, and then he does it. Now, God is using his sovereign power to be good to the lowly. And by that I mean he's not really dealing with Caesar Augustus here. You notice that? And he didn't choose powerful, wealthy families to bring his son into the world. 
You know, he chooses the Jews. They are his chosen people. And they are the one people on earth that nobody would choose. It's crazy as you see how many people don't like the Jews. And you actually see, you know, what the UN votes on. And all of these horrific things are going on in the world, all over the world, but the only thing the UN takes notice of is what's happening in Israel. And they vote against it all the time. And you're seeing anti-Israel demonstrations all over Europe, here in England. You think, really? Why? Well, it's because God chose them. Nobody else would choose them, but he did. And in this group of people, this nation of the Jews, he chooses the family of David. And within that family, he chooses a poor relation. He's a carpenter, and he doesn't have much money. You notice they're staying in a stable. They could not buy their way out of this situation. They didn't say, oh, well, it doesn't look good here. Well, okay, we'll go to the Hilton, and I'll take care of you, babe. You know, we're going to, it's an emergency, but we can do this. Oh, they have to go to the innkeeper and say, well, what do you got? Well, you're going to have to take the stable or nothing. Okay, stable. No telephones. No internet. You can't even say, stupid internet doesn't even work. That curse didn't come until thousands of years later. So, you know, it's like any port in a storm. Can we stay in the stable? We got a place to stay. And you think God chose a poor family on purpose. But not only that, when God decides to reveal this momentous event, he reveals it to lowlifes. Very sketchy people. Now, I'm told that in England, people aren't really crazy about the bus drivers. Is this true? Somebody help me out here. I don't want to slam anybody if I don't have to. Uh, well, you know, it's like yeah, bus driver. Um, the shepherds are kind of like that. They got this reputation. Hey, lots of good bus drivers out there laboring under a bad reputation. Lots of good shepherds out there, but generally, by and large, shepherds are like, okay, I don't want my daughter to marry one. They're the kind of guys that sort of like travelers, just kind of things go missing when they show up. And so, not a good reputation. So, not highly respected. These are not the guys you would entrust with valuable news. These are guys not even looking for God. 
They're just normal, everyday Joes. Okay? So why does God choose a poor family and a bunch of lowlifes? Because that is well-pleasing in his sight. You know, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. And you can imagine the disciples just saying, did he just call us infants? I'm no infant. You're an infant. No, I'm not. You are. Infants. But he says, yeah, God, you're so good. That's what you do. In James it says, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it strikes me that God enjoys being absolutely good to humble, lowly people because they know they don't deserve it. And if they don't deserve it, they're the ones inclined to be way happy because they realize, I don't deserve this, and he's being good to me. Therefore, they're absolutely thankful back to God. Wow, that is good. And God is good to the lowly because he himself is lowly. This is something to get your head around when you're thinking about God. He is high and lifted up, yeah, but he's not arrogant and proud. In fact, he's lowly. How lowly? Well, he's able to just leave all the power and glory of God behind. For nine months, he has been inside a woman's womb. Can you imagine? The creator of the universe. What's he doing? He's gestating. What does that mean? He's growing inside a mother's womb. And he's hooked up with the umbilical cord to a placenta. Creator of the universe for nine months, 24 hours a day. How big is he? But he's growing and he's growing. He's a nine-month baby in the womb. So that says God has patience. And he has the perseverance to stick it out. Imagine God as a baby. How helpless. How small. But this was his decision. That he would become the perfect sacrifice for all humanity and save humanity. Now he's not thinking about himself. He's not thinking about his own comfort. 
He's not thinking about how many people are looking at me and telling me that I'm hot stuff. He's thinking about others. And this is what humility is. Thinking about others, not really being concerned about yourself. And that's why the angels are praising God. They're doing this on their own, by the way. God didn't say, okay, you guys, you better come out with it. When I give you the signal, I want you to just blast it. How good I am. Make it good. They just show up and they go, we've never seen anything like this before. We have never seen anything like this because God is making peace. Because he's good towards men. Is that not amazing? God is using his sovereign power to humble himself and be absolutely good to men. Now, the thing about Christmas is that God is absolutely good sovereignly right now. That's what the angel says. He says, today is born for you a Savior. All of those promises that God made all those centuries ago are now current right now. Right now, your sins can be removed from you forever. Right now, you can receive eternal life. You can be a child of God. Your future is certain right now. You don't have to wait and find out if you pass the test. You can receive it all right here and right now in your lifetime. Now, all the promises are current today, right now, just like they were back then. In other words, they can be fulfilled in your lifetime. And this is another thing that I find really interesting about Christmas. God is the Lord of time. See, he made time. But funny enough, he's not loose with it. He is very precise on his timing. That is, Jesus fulfilled the Passover at Passover. It was exactly the right time for him to do that. And you notice that Jesus fulfilled the Feast of, of Pentecost exactly on the day of Pentecost. Calendar day. That's why people nowadays are looking for Jesus to fulfill the other feasts, because he's going to. Between Pentecost and the next feast to be fulfilled in the calendar is a long period of time where nothing happens. And then you have things like the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles. All of those are going to be fulfilled. Now, it's a different time than when God says, okay, the Messiah is going to come at a certain time. It was a fixed time. He even laid it out. 
from the, the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, 483 years. For the second coming of Jesus, there is no fixed time that we are given. Now, God says, you, here are all the signs that are going to happen right before it happens. And you need to know all those signs so that when you see them happening, all of them, then you know it's any time. That does not mean that God is not careful about time. Just, oh, whenever. Whenever I can fit it into my schedule. No, no, no. He is exact. And the whole point of that is to be ready. To see if he came out and said, okay, it's going to be on X date. Well, all of these Christians all through the centuries would be teaching, it's got to be this date, it's got to be this date. And everybody would say, well, if it's so far in the future, it doesn't matter about now. It's not going to happen in my lifetime. So I can just forget all that stuff. But the effect of it is that in every generation, you have to be ready. You can't just say, well, you know, it's going to be a long time. Who cares? So it's interesting the way God set it up for the second coming. But he's always on time. This is something Christmas really reminds us of. So to really enjoy God's sovereignty this Christmas, you got to be really aware that you don't deserve anything from God. So is, I hope, is there anybody here who believes they deserve blessing from God? It's like, I've done enough. I know that God ought to bless me. I've been to church, like what? 40 times this year. Okay, I missed a few, but mostly I'm good. That means, God, I have done this good thing. You owe me. You owe me happiness and satisfaction. And to see if you qualify for God to bless you, you have to say things like, have I ever told a lie? Have I ever stolen anything? Have I ever hated someone in my heart? Have I ever used the name of God as a curse word? See, if you can answer yes to any of those questions, you don't qualify. In fact, God is obligated to judge you and condemn you. He cannot and will not bless you. But see, this is the funny thing about God. He blesses anyway. And it doesn't depend on somebody deserving it. It only depends on God being good. Now, at that point, nobody can say it's unfair. You don't deserve it. Like the devil is right there to say, you know, it's not right of God to bless you because you deserve condemnation and you should get that. It's only right that you get condemned 
to eternal punishment, you haven't done enough. In fact, you've done the opposite. So it's not fair. This isn't right. But because God is all-powerful and he's good, he says, well, if I want to provide a sacrifice to take away all sin, then there's really nothing more you have to say. Of course it's not fair. It's, it's more than fair. It is absolutely undeserved goodness. I'm just going to bless anyway. And there's nothing that anybody can say about that. And that means that no one has the power to take away that blessing. Because God not only gives the blessing, but then he protects it. And lately I've been meditating about how just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. And David said, this is so amazing, I can't even get my head around it. In Psalm 139, I cannot attain to it. But just think, God is surrounding those people who fear him to protect them. And he says things that are just amazing. In Psalm um, 121, I believe, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. That's what he says. Now, nobody can take that away. And he actually said, Jesus said, there's no one greater than my father. Nobody can snatch you out of his hand. There's nobody greater. So everything depends upon God, not upon you. What if it should happen that at some point in the future, you find you don't deserve God's blessing? Does that stop his blessing? See, it never depended upon you in the first place. So it doesn't affect God's blessing now. If you ever find that you don't deserve it, you come back to Jesus and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And see, he will keep you. That's the whole point. So, it says in Psalm 138, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Now, here is God accomplishing everything that concerns you. That's God choosing in his sovereignty to take care of your business. Will you somehow fail to get where he wants you to be? No, because he's 
taking care of your business. He's accomplishing what concerns you. And you go, yeah, but I don't feel it. Well, neither did Caesar Augustus, and neither did Mary, jolted on a donkey, going, man, God, get rid of the Romans. And here's the sovereignty of God getting her to Bethlehem because he already decided it 500 years ago. That's where you're going, young woman. Well, here's what you can have for Christmas. God is going to accomplish what concerns you in his sovereignty. And what I have learned is that you cannot rush God because God in his sovereignty will not be rushed. So you have to pray instead, please do all your goodwill for me and keep me in step with you. So here's a couple of things you can do for Christmas. Okay. One is think about the fact that God is all-powerful. And this is something to root your faith into. Because we all know this up here. God is all-powerful. Duh. But we don't know it down here in our hearts. Down here, we say, it doesn't feel like anything. And it looks like everything's going wrong. And I don't like the view of life from atop this donkey. So God, kill this donkey and do something right. But you know, there he is, getting us where we need to be. We could say, God, thank you. Thank you that you're going to work this out for good because you have all sovereignty in my life. And I believe God is sovereign for the entire universe except me. So this is the thing to think about this Christmas is God is sovereign in your life. And the next thing to root your faith into is that he is good in his sovereignty. Is God going to sovereignly ruin your life and there's nothing you can say about it because he's sovereign. <laughs> nope. He's going to work it out for good. And of course, we see all these issues that they last so much longer than we think they ought to. Will this donkey ride ever end? Yes, it will. Signed, God. God is good. Somebody boiled it down to this. God can and he cares. That's what you think about. In all of your life, just think, okay, God can and he cares. And keep chewing on that and thinking about it and work it down to here. And when you read that in your Bible... Take a hold of that 
Here's the classic expression of it. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Creator is just another way of saying sovereign. And the name of the Lord is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, overflowing in loving kindness and truth. That's all of your life and everything you need wrapped up in one phrase. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So, I hope you enjoy God's decision to bless you in Jesus' name. Shall we pray? Once again, we thank you, Heavenly Father, because you are so good. And especially because we know we don't deserve anything from you. How amazing it is to think that you know our name. You know where we live. You know everything about us. And you love us with everlasting love. What an amazing thing to know your love. But it's only in Jesus. All of your blessings are wrapped up in Jesus. There is no blessing apart from him. So this year, Heavenly Father, bring people to know Jesus. And again, we trust in your sovereignty. Thank you that we can open up and receive him and say, okay, Lord, anything you want. Please accomplish those things that concern me. Please do that for Jesus' sake. And we will give you all the glory this Christmas. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.